Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to The Big Cruise Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 32 of The Big Cruise Podcast. My name is Baz and uh, I am your host. In today's show, we'll of course be joined shortly by Chris Frame. He's going to tell us about uh, some facts from maritime history. In fact, this week's maritime history was suggested uh, by a listener in the form of a, a question. So uh, we'll jump into that first of all. We'll then move on to the latest cruise news. And then we have another listener question, uh, this time from the UK, uh, towards the end of the show. Pete can uh, cannot join us this week, so we're hoping that he will be back with us very, very soon. And um, if you've got a uh, review or a list of questions that you want to send in, you can do so via the website. You know where it is. It's thebigcruisepodcast.com, and you'll find Join the Show in the top right-hand corner of uh, the website. But without further ado, let's jump into uh, today's show. Hey, guys, did I mention there's a little way you can help keep this uh, podcast on air? That's right, just for the cost of a coffee, uh, so about four Aussie dollars, about two pounds something, about two euros something, um, you can make a donation and that helps uh, keep the lights on and keep the, the podcast uh, producing in, the, in this weekly format. Um, or you can join up as a member and make a, a monthly uh, subscription and in return receive some incredible um, bonus material as well. Um, all the details are on the show notes of each individual podcast or you can head to uh, the website buymeacoffee forward slash the big cruise pod. And uh, we look forward to uh, shouting you out if you are able to, uh, to make a little donation. Thanks in advance. And once again, our good friend, maritime historian and all things cruise news, Chris Frame, is joining us in the studio. Hey, Chris. Hey, Barry. Great to be back. Yeah, and uh, yet again, another incredible week on in the, the news front. But as always, we'll start off with uh, maritime history. But... This week, it's actually been prompted by a, a listener question. Um, mm. Craig from Geraldton here in Western Australia. 
He was listening to last week's episode and heard you mention the, the Blue Riband okay. and the US United, US United States um, being the, the, the holder of that. Yes. Um, but he wanted to know specifically, um, when did Queen Mary get the record and what ship held it before Queen Mary? And what, what were the speeds like in comparison to the, the United States? Oh, cool. That's a great, that's a great question. Um, yeah, so uh, Queen Mary was uh, the holder before the United States. Um, her um, records actually date back to the pre-war years. So when Queen Mary was being built, um, the, the Queen Mary was sort of uh, Cunard's attempt to uh, match the speeds of some other ships that had actually come in uh, in the late 1920s and early 1930s. So to mm-hmm. look at Queen Mary, we kind of go back to 1929. Um, the year started with Mauritania still holding the record, and she'd had it okay. since 1909, so she'd had it for a very long time. Um, and that had obviously been that those services had been interrupted during um, World War One, but afterwards the British shipping lines, particularly Cunard, were able to reestablish themselves quite quickly. But 1929, uh, the German line, Norddeutsche Lloyd, put two ships into service, uh, the mm-hmm. Bremen and the Europa, and they were both much faster than Mauritania. So they captured the record from Mauritania. Um, and then the Italians put a, a ship into service um, uh, called the Rex, and she captured the speed record from the Bremen. And then the French were also building a liner called the Normandy. So Cunard was busy trying to build the Queen Mary, and the French were building the Normandy. And both ships were expected to be very fast ships. Now. Mm-hmm. During the Great due to the Great Depression, the Queen Mary's construction was delayed. I think we might have talked about that in a previous podcast, um, mm-hmm. and so they couldn't actually complete Queen Mary as quickly as they had hoped. And Normandy, on the other hand, was backed by the French government, so her construction right. continued throughout the Depression, and she entered service before Queen Mary. And when she entered service, she captured the speed record for France. So you now have a situation where you've had. The, you know, the British Cunard line eclipsed by German ships, by Italian ships, and by French <laughs> ships. Um, and so um, this was, you know, embarrassing for Britain. And as a result of that, the British government agreed to help Cunard fund, the, complete the construction of Queen Mary and build the running mate, Queen Elizabeth. But the proviso there was that Cunard and White Star, who were both struggling, had to merge. So you ended up with Cunard White Star, and then they were able to complete construction on Queen Mary. When Queen Mary entered service, um, she was launched in 1934. She entered the service in 1936. And her maiden voyage, it was hoped that she would be able to capture the record from the Normandy. Um, but due to fog during that crossing, she didn't make the speed that she needed to to um, complete that crossing in a record-breaking time. Uh, they had to slow the ship down to get through the fog safely, which is, of course, mm-hmm. you know, just the right thing to do. But in a yeah. subsequent voyage, she actually did captured the speed record both eastbound and westbound from Normandy. Um, Queen Mary actually was able to complete a crossing in under four days, which was a record at that time. Um, And then the Normandy um, actually recaptured the record from uh, Queen Mary. So you have this sort of like (laughs) this race between these two great liners. They're about the same size. They they had vastly different approaches in terms of their um, external design Normandy, even though she was launched first, she was designed after Queen Mary and she was um, much more um, modern in terms of her appearance. But you had these two great ships kind of battling it out in the Atlantic. Um, Normandy gets the record back. And then in 1938, Queen Mary recaptures it once more. And Queen Mary didn't lose it then until 1952. 
um, when the United oh, wow. States, yeah, um, the United States was able to to capture the um, the record from 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 her on that um, 1952 voyage. Now, what's interesting to note, um, Barry, and also for our for our listeners uh, who've asked the question over there in uh, Craig and Geraldton, is that um, the Normandy was lost during World War Two. So she was in New York Harbor, and the the, the American military um, seized the ship after after um, France fell and tried to convert her into a troop carrier to work, you know, alongside the, the Queens. And mm-hmm. um, she, she caught fire and was lost in the harbour. She, she wasn't able to be converted. Now, that means that after the war, Queen Mary still held the record and Queen Elizabeth, which was another very fast ship, never, never raced against Queen Mary. So you, you had Queen Mary maintain that record all the way through to 1952. Um, if Normandy had survived the war, potentially she would have, you know, an alternate universe, right? She would have gone back to the French line. They might have raced her against Queen Mary again. Had she won, perhaps Queen Elizabeth would have had a go for the for the Blue Riband. I, I don't know. Um, yeah. So it was just interesting. Like, it's just circumstance meant that, that it was a combination of, of what had happened with Normandy as well as there being no other major rivals in the, in the mid- post-war years that let Queen Mary have that award for so long. And it really wasn't until the United States came in that a ship was able to, to eclipse that speed. Um, and race for it on the North Atlantic. So, yeah, the United States was significantly faster than than Queen Mary. Um, in fact, when when she, you know, there was no there was no attempt by Queen Mary uh, or Queen Elizabeth to to try and recapture the record from the United States when she came into service in 1952. Um, I know that Cunard did consider overhauling Queen Elizabeth and seeing if she would be able to to race, but once they saw the speed. Um, that United States was able to achieve, they, they abandoned those plans. There was no way they were going to catch her. Um, and so what they basically did is they they positioned them as as the, the Cunard Queens, the you know, getting there as half the fun as, as these like floating cities at sea and accepted that in the early 1950s there was enough tra- uh, people going across the Atlantic to, to have enough passengers for everybody. And it really wasn't until the jet came in in 1958 that you started to see um, major problems occurring with, with shipping lines in terms of passengers. So um, the speed record was important, but it was not the be-all and end-all when it came to, to people choosing their way across the Atlantic. That question without notice, I don't know why I don't know this, but is it a, a race that's held every so often? Like, Is there, is there a date every year that it actually happens? Or no. do you just log your speeds and yep. prove to the authorities that you've, you've done something? Yes, so you, you have to... Um, the 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 track originally it was like an unofficial award like it, it kind of developed itself and in fact it wasn't it wasn't really referred to as the the, the blue riband is the westbound crossing mm-hmm. i think i mentioned last week that going westbound you're going against the gulf stream um yep. which means that it's a it's a it's a harder crossing to make at speed um and um it wasn't really referred to as as the blue riband uh, until about 1911 or 1912 um and before that it was just the westbound speed record and uh initially there was different sort of even even vaguer like there was kind of different departure points and different arrival points but as things moved on it became a bit more sort of um uh, you know specific about where where the ship had where they could measure the voyages from, where the ship had to have left from. Because, of course, some of them were coming from Europe and the the, yeah. the, the crossing speeds weren't measured from leaving, you know, the Italian ship leaving Genoa, for example. There's a lot more distance to cover. So it was the Atlantic yeah. portion of it that they were that they were measuring. Um, and then the eastbound, well, the actual other record, which was the 
later known as the Hales Trophy, which which came in when Queen Mary was the record break um, record holder, but um, the trophy itself was was um, was awarded to the United States, and then has since been awarded to some of those um, very fast catamarans that do the races across the Atlantic. Um, that was a little bit more specific in terms of um, what route you had to do, uh, but it was it was not as I guess it's not as prestigious as the Blue Riband because the Blue Riband had that long heritage and and history that um, that went with it, and people people kind of knew it as the. Yep. Um, as the award for the fastest Atlantic crossing, even though it was specifically for passenger ships going westbound. Um, yep. And, you know, in those early days and, and even up until the United States, like if you were able to, you think about it, like the blue band holder is the Concord of the ships, right? If you're yeah. able to go faster, you're going to get people there to their destination quicker. It's better for business travelers. It's better for people who have a shorter period of time to go on holidays. And so you're able to then offer um, this crossing on a fast ship that is going to cost a little bit more for passengers, so you make a bit better premium. And even though they were record breakers in terms of their speed, Queen Mary wasn't going at her record breaking speed, or the United States weren't going at their record breaking speeds for every single crossing. Um, yeah. They would really push it out to win the, the speed record, but then they'd work to their schedule. So, you know, for Queen Mary and Queen Elizabeth, for example, it was a two ship weekly service, and getting her to port days ahead of, of schedule wasn't necessarily any any more you know any use to anybody um so they kind of built the schedule around the speeds that the ships could attain on an average basis yeah and a fuel efficiency and, and things like that obviously get taken yeah. into account as well i guess yeah you know, it's also interesting um baz is that even if you look at like even to the 1970s for example and you look at the transatlantic services that were being done by um you know qe2 was obviously there but there was um the, the france from the french line and uh, michelangelo and raffaello from from the italian line um they would have these schedules but the turnaround times were much longer than they were today even even in the 70s the ships would spend a couple of days in port to do their turnaround and they would quite often, there's quite a lot of instances where QE2, for example, arrived ahead of schedule, hour, hours or even you know half a day before she was scheduled. But now if a cruise ship's due to arrive at 6 a.m., they generally arrive at 6 a.m. So yeah. it's a lot more sort of, even now it's a lot more um, scheduled, a bit more like every other form of transport than, um, it, than it was back in um, even in the 1970s when they're still doing kind of more regular crossings because yeah. if you arrived early and you were um, a business traveler you could leave the ship early and and go on and get on with your day whereas now if you arrived early and they're telling you you can you can disembark five hours before you were due to people would be going but i want to have breakfast you know it's like a different experience <laughs> <laughs> i've missed out on one of my meals i mean i just can't imagine like you know if cruise ship arrived a day early because it got there sooner and people were like en masse opting to leave the ship um you would think that they hadn't had a very good, you know, good experience. But back in the era of the ocean liner, it was like an aeroplane. It was, it, yeah. you know, it was more um, of an ex- of an experience, I guess, than than the, than the short six hour flight. But if you got to to Southampton early, you'd want to get off. Many people would want to get off the ship and go and get on with whatever they were there to do, <laughs> um, because they were so used to traveling long distances by ship. Many people, and obviously the ones who who weren't. Um, might be doing it for the first time to immigrate or whatever. And once they got to where they were going, they had to go through all that immigration process. And it just was more utilitarian in terms of the the um, the nature of why you were traveling as opposed to the yeah. leisure holidays that we have these days. 
Well, hopefully that answered Craig's question. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it did. Um, and I've also got another uh, question that's coming sure. overnight as well. But we'll leave that one to the end. We're going to okay. jump straight into uh, to Cruise News now. No worries. Um, obviously, there was the big announcement with the CDC um, last weekend um, announcing the what steps need to be taken to resume cruising. But mm. that's also prompted uh, the, cre- the clear cruise lines in the U.S., um, extending their pause to allow them to prepare for things. Yeah, I think that's it. Like a lot of people, uh, when they hear that CDC um, hasn't extended the, the no-sale order or has modified it, you know, with new guidance and stuff, there's a natural sort of feeling to think that, you know, next month everything's going to be back to the way it was. It's not going to be like that at all. And so as opposed to it being sort of a phased resumption, the clear cruise lines have, have come together and have, they've opted to, to not, you know, really look at resuming proper voyages until at least the end of this year um, to allow themselves to have time to implement this immense guidance document that's been put together um, by the CDC to ensure that when they do restart and that phased approach, um, that they're meeting all these these uh, recommendations and guidelines and so that once they get going again, I guess there's not that much risk of it all being stopped because someone's done it wrong. So it's nice to yep. see the industry come together um, to you know, to approach it in a in a unified manner as opposed to everybody trying to sort of trump, uh, st- stomp on top of each other to get there first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. And I think the one thing that we can take from that huge 40-page document is that there will be testing, testing, and testing, mm. uh, not only before you get on the cruise, but also throughout the voyage, as well as lots of other different measures. But um, you can find all that information on the CDC website. Uh, we could yeah. spend hours talking about it if we needed to. Well, testing's become such a huge part as well, because I know that um, one of the other things that's sort of um, been on your radar this, this week, and, and I've noticed it as well, is that Viking cruises, for example, are going to be having an onboard testing facility on their ships. Um, they're going to be demonstrating that on the Viking Star, which will be showing yeah. you know authorities how it's going to work in November, um, and um, you know that will allow them to to test people whilst they're on the ship. But there's also going to be some some cruise lines are looking at um, even doing testing not just to board the ship, but partway through the voyage. So, like, for example, and we'll probably talk about it a bit later, but um, Grandiosa from MSC, um, mm-hmm. while she's going to be continuing her, her voyages um, as, as planned, um, they're now going to be doing testing midway through the voyage. So I think testing is going to become, at least until there's enough people traveling who are vaccinated to change the, the, you know, the, the paradigm of, of, of COVID, um, it's going to become part of that cruise experience and people are going to get used to to that as sort of a mandatory expectation. Yeah, and it's interesting that the, the Vikings um, lab, for one for a better word, it's actually a full-scale PCR lab. So it, mm. it's it's the full full works of, of testing mm. um, so that they really are going all out and uh, we're probably going to see that uh, put on every single one of the, the Viking ocean ships, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, you know all eyes will be on this demonstration that's going to be taking place um, later this month. Um, and and I think having that facility on board will also give people the peace of mind that it's not going to be sort of ad hoc or delays in yeah. terms of getting those results back. It's going to be able to be properly managed, or hopefully anyway, um, yeah. on board the ship. So that will be, you know, that'd be interesting. Yeah, no, exactly. Mm. Now, uh, we'll head up to Norway next. Mm-hmm. Um, they've actually extended um, their visitor ban yep. for the whole of Norway through to mid-21. 
Yeah, I mean, some listeners from some places will think that this sounds quite extreme, but for us, of course, in Australia, we're um, <laughs> we're used to this because our border's been closed since uh, since April, and it's not planning to open any international border anyway. It's not planning to open anytime soon here either. But so Norway's um, closed its or uh, extended its um, its visitor ban for people outside of the, the country um, until I think it was the first of uh, June twenty twenty one, and that's to see them yep. through. Yeah, that's to see them through the winter. I think. There's so many um, reports and medical experts saying that it's going to be a difficult period for the Northern Hemisphere with the winter months coming, particularly those countries that have the, the coldest conditions, of course, of which Norway is one. And I mm-hmm. think that, um, you know, I mean, from our perspective here, when we kind of used to this uh, approach, it does, it makes sense to us. I think for other people, it might seem a little bit extreme, but um, it's, it's definitely a way to control um, how much of covid can get into your can get into your country or past your border yeah yeah no exactly mm-hmm. now uh, staying in the northern hemisphere a rosa which is a river cruise operator mm-hmm. uh german based of course they've paused operations this week as a request from the the german government mm-hmm. but a, a good deed has come out of that yeah so we've spoken about um where all the food goes from cruise ships before and of course um when the initial pause happened, there was lots and lots of ships with lots of food ordered and prepared, and then that kind of dried up. But with um, Arosa having been back in service, they've now got all their supply chains happening again. With this um, pause, they've got excess food, um, which they've donated to a, a food charity in Cologne, um, uh, Coloner Taffel, I think it's called, and um, they'll be they'll be. Um, passing that food off to to people who are in need, which will be very useful in the lead up, um, you know, the November month lead up to winter um, and lead up towards Christmas as well. So, um, good work, Arosa, to make sure that doesn't go go to waste and that people who need it get it. Yeah, no, exactly. Mm. Now, also in the the northern hemisphere, um, Key West, um, mm. one of the, uh, the the island areas off uh, Florida, they had an important vote this week regarding uh, cruise ship visitation. What's that all about? Yeah, so they've um, put in. Well, they basically had these proposed um, changes and limitations to to the cruise ship access to Key West. It was put up for a vote, and the the three main um, items on it have all have all passed. So basically, there's going to be a limitation um, to the size of the ships that can come through, um, limiting to them to ships that are carrying thirteen hundred people. Um, is it pat? I can't don't can't remember Barry whether it was passengers or people in total um, that that these ships could carry. Um, Ship capacity of thirteen hundred or yeah, more. Yeah, I thought it was a capacity. So it's thirteen hundred people in total on board. Um, they also limiting the the ports daily um, disembarkations. The number of people that can disembark um, is fifteen hundred. So that would be a combination of both passengers but also crew who are doing turnovers as well. I imagine, um, mm-hmm. and they've also voted interestingly here um to support only cruise lines that have the best environmental and health records to come into and out of um the ports in in key west so you know that's a big a big change um it's also Mm. hints at a change of um you know of approach in terms of um putting such a huge emphasis on not just the health records but also environmental records of these of cruise lines um and of course key west was um a, a very popular cruise port and it was very popular with large cruise lines so how how brands that have been sailing from there or were planning to sail from there in the future are going to respond to this um be it um whether they whether they bring smaller ships in or whether they um 
are able to to operate their ships economically with with fewer passengers. Um, I guess we'll have to look and see um, in the future barriers to what the response is going to be there. Yeah, well, last year they had more than 400 ship visits with about 1.2 million passengers. Mm. And uh, looking at the list of ships that are that are impacted, we've got two Disney ships, Disney mm. Wonder, Disney, Disney Magic, um, Virgin Scarlet Lady, which you know hasn't even entered oh, service yet. She's such an unlucky start to her career. <laughs> <laughs> and MSC's uh, Armonia, so yeah. uh, some some big ships big there ships. that are going to have to make alternate plans. Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, I'd be interested to see which which lines they um, they identify as the ones uh, that they're willing to work with in terms of their environmental and health records. It'll be interesting to see. Now, Oceania Cruises is uh, launching 2022. Now, this is not unusual. We've been seeing a lot of the the premium and luxury luxury lines coming yep. out with their deployment much further out. Yep. Uh, but given that they're a sister to uh, Regent Seven Seas, I think this is going to be incredibly popular. Uh, what's what's on the the books for this new brochure? So they've got um, a whole suite of cruises in Europe and and also a big suite of cruises in the USA. Again, 2022. So you're looking two years out. Um, there's going to be, they've, they've announced 54 voyages, um, for that season, um, which range between 15 and 46 nights. And what's interesting to see is that there's quite a few sort of, um, either geographically themed or, um, uh, you know, um, topic themed cruises. So you've got food and wine themed voyages. You've got voyages that focus on areas such as Bermuda, the Mediterranean and Greek Isles. Uh, but you've also got a full Mediterranean voyage. It's a westbound um, voyage, which sails from Jerusalem uh, to Barcelona. And I thought mm. that is quite an interesting itinerary. Um, again, you don't really hear um, of too many voyages that originate in Jer- Jerusalem. So um, that will be quite um, something for passengers to to consider if they're interested in doing um, a Mediterranean voyage that has um, some some unique ports in it. Yeah, I was having a look through the brochure and they've got some really nice longer itineraries of about 20 to 24 nights and a lot of itineraries uh, starting or finishing in Istanbul, which is great to see yeah, um, back yeah. on the radar as well. Yeah, and I mean, hopefully by 2022, we'll, we'll have a really good idea as to what like cruising looks like and, and things will be a lot a lot more um, reliable for passengers. I think that's one of the reasons why cruise lines are opening up so far ahead is because you know by then there should be less of this... Um, you know, what we've had this year where things have been open and they've had to cancel or, or edit things. It should be a little bit more smooth by 2022. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Now, we touched on this uh, this next part, bit of news uh, earlier in the, the news segment. Mm-hmm. You mentioned MSC and the fact that they're going to be uh, testing mid-cruise on yep. uh, the, the ships that are operating. But there's also some additional information around the suspension of Magnifica and the extension of the Western Med Cruises as well. Yeah, so like, I mean... The, I think one of the reasons why they've announced the the well, why they were looking at and also announced the mid um, voyage testing on Grandiosa is because you know obviously if you've been watching how COVID is behaving in Europe and some of the countries you're seeing these these significant increases in cases um, as Europe goes towards winter, but uh, Grandiosa is sailing out of Italy and so we'll continue those voyages. They're taking in. Um, only Italian ports or Italian embarkations. Um, and so she'll be having the testing midway through the voyages there as well as the, the existing um, pre-embarkation screenings and, and, and other health and safety measures that they've had on board the ship. But then Magnifica, which is one of the other ships in the fleet who had been sailing in areas that are, that are probably um, 
seeing sort of significant spikes in cases at the moment. Um, they've decided to suspend the voyages um, of her, and that will be for voyages from the 8th of November um, through to the 18th of December at this time. And that's mainly, I think, due to what's happening at the moment with COVID in France and Germany. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. Now, Chris, hold in there. We're just going to have a quick break, and then we're going to come back. We've actually got a listener question from the UK. Okay, and now we're back with uh, the final part of the show. We've got the the listener question, which came in from Ian in mm-hmm. the UK. Now, Chris, this is quite a funny right. one. There's a, a family just dis- family dispute going on in the UK as to whether Cunard right. accepts uh, animals on board their <laughs> ships. I'll let you. I'll let you be the animals deciding the decision. Okay, so um, I'm not too sure exactly what the family like what battle lines have been drawn in the family dispute, but <laughs> technically, I, I mean, yes, Cunard does still accept animals. On the Queen Mary 2, on transatlantic crossings, when transatlantic crossings are happening, because obviously this year <laughs> they have been yep. in a cruise port. So say, for example, everything was back to the way it was. Yes, you can take your animal across the Atlantic. In fact, on my transatlantic crossing that I went on last year, in last November, there was a whole heap of dogs and cats um, in the um, in the kennels on board the ship. Queen Mary 2 has a special kennel facility on the top deck. It has... Um, seating area so you can go and visit your pet it also has a london lamppost and a new york fire hydrant so that the pets can you know have their uh, <laughs> constitutional without um uh, without feeling um uh you know lost depending on what country they're coming from um so yes you can still that and in fact uh, when we when we uh um arrived in new york uh, the immigration there, the pets actually got through immigration quicker than the pa- many of the passengers did. So it was quite interesting to watch people just walking through <laughs> with their dogs because they've had all the pre, um, pre-checks done before they left the ship and uh, the rest of us standing in these um, queues for hours on end. Um, the rest of the world and the rest of the ships, no. So you can't take, you, you can't take your pet on a world cruise. You can't take your pet um, on a Queen Victoria, Queen Elizabeth um, around you know the Mediterranean or into the into Norway or whatever, but if you're doing a transatlantic crossing on the Queen Mary two and you've re- arranged it with Cunard beforehand, yes, you can take your pet. So, I think you've both won, depending on what exactly the question was. <laughs> <laughs> Very diplomatic. Yeah. Now, out of interest, how big is the the kennel area? Roughly, how many animals oh, could they take? Are know, we talking just a handful? I think it might have been twelve. Um, okay, but again, I think it's on the website. Like I did know that number at one point, um, but it's um, you know so. <laughs> It, the Queen Mary 2 always had a kennel on board and, and, and QE2 had one before her and then back the old ocean liners, it was like a, it was legendary. You know, you'd actually have um, the first class passengers could take their dogs and they would have special porters who would walk the dogs on the boat deck or on the sun deck and <laughs> it'd be like a, a big, big thing. And in fact, even all the way back to um, the old ocean liners, like um, Titanic, for example, had pets on board um, the ship. Um, so it's it's quite a it's a long tradition and you know again it depends on what part of the world you come from because i remember being on that from coming from australia we have extremely strict biosecurity laws here and i know new zealand is the same and for me to see people you know on a transatlantic crossing with their pet getting off the ship and just walking their dog into new york was remarkable because you would never be able to do that here. So it's like, you know, it's obviously different rules for different 
um, different countries. They have different approaches. There's there's all sorts. You got to have. I think you got to have rabies certificates and that sort of thing. Um, again, it's all on the Cunard website how it works. But so depending on where you're from, you may or may not have seen this. It may or may not be commonplace to you. I don't know. Like it's um it's, it's just was an interesting thing to see. But it was also quite interesting when we were in the ship was in this sort of force. Um, it was a force twelve uh, hurricane force winds that we had on our last day of the Atlantic crossing, and a lot of the parent uh, pet owners um parents of the pets i suppose um were there with their with their animals to keep them sort of calm but the crew were there looking after them as well so um yeah <laughs> it was um it was an interesting thing to see and uh, it was a couple of years ago after qm2 was refurbished they put the the lamppost and the fire hydrant in the pet walking area because oh, okay. <laughs> qe2 used to have that it was this big sort of joke you know that the new york dogs wouldn't feel uncomfortable having to use a london lamppost you know so they had both <laughs> to do that when they're going for their walk you know um and and they've done that on queen mary too now so yeah and there's a now what is kind of interesting baz is um there's a few a few funny photographs around there because the the area where the kennels are has its own deck but when the ship's doing every other cruise that deck is open for passengers and there's quite often sunbathing and you, you know, deck chairs and stuff laid up <laughs> nearby and they have these big signs up that are like attached to the bulkhead. And it says, caution, these animals may bite because it's for when, so of course, <laughs> when you've got somebody sunbathing under the sign, it's like, um, what, if you don't know the context, you're like, why is that sign there? <laughs> but you know, if you know the ship, you know, that's because that's during the Atlantic crossings, that is the dog walking deck. <laughs> yeah. Right, it's okay. It's funny. <laughs> Oh, good one. Well, Ian, I hope we answered your, your family dispute there. Um, as uh, Chris said, uh, both uh, of you, uh, I guess, right in, in some, yes, some way. Yes, just as um, well, and if you, you don't if you, want to, you want to get too, um, <laughs> too drawn into the argument. Now, if anybody listening does have a listener question, you can send it in via the website, uh, thebigcruisepodcast.com. Head up into the top right-hand corner. There's a button called Join the Show, and that's where you can send in your question or even uh, nominate a ship that you would like to complete a cruise review on. Now, Chris, as always, before we let you go, what's happening on the the YouTube channel this week? Uh, yeah, well, actually, I've been a bit um, I've been a bit early uh, this week on the YouTube, so it's already out the video, and we're looking at. Um, I have a lot of questions. Like it's interesting because we're talking about the the different bands and the pauses and stuff, and particularly with Norway, I've had a lot of questions from people saying, "What's um, what's happening with Australia? Why are there?" Why is the cruise ban there? Is it has it been listed? How's it impacted the cruise lines here? And so the latest video is a look into what's been happening with the Australian cruise ban and which ships that were operating in Australia will come back and which ones are not coming back following when the ban finally lifts, hopefully sometime next year. So for example, we've said goodbye to Pacific Dawn, we've said goodbye to Pacific Aria, and just looking at, at, at how that's been impacting us um, around the world. And I know um, uh, our friend Emma from Emma Cruises, she's actually done mm-hmm. a, a video on a similar lines looking at how how cruising is restarting around the world. And I did a little cameo appearance with her just talking about um, how the Australian um, experience and and I guess by extension this is similar in New Zealand as well um, how um, how that is different from many of the other places around the world whereas we've got such a low number of cases but our cruise industry remains shut yeah. down um, so if you're if you're a follower of Emma as well you might want to check that out because she's got a few um, people giving perspectives from different parts around the world Oh, brilliant. And uh, also, before we let you go, um, you're obviously a published author. You've got many, many books, but there's one book that might be very, very popular this year if you've got any young cruisers. Um, give a little plug to your colouring book. Yeah, so in the lead up to Christmas, thanks, Baz. That's um, that's nice of you to, to mention. Um, we've actually had uh, published 
for the last well for the last couple of years um two different coloring books the piano one is the newest one and there was a cunard one that was out last year and um what they are is they're um very very nice quality um coloring in books that kind of trace the history of those two different brands by having pictures of the ships that either we've taken or that have uh, are from um uh, historical archives that we've got, you know, permission to have them reproduced as coloring in images. And next to the the picture of the ship, there's a there's a blurb with information about that ship and how it fits in the history of of the company. Um, and so you can go through and um, yourself. Um, they're they're kind of positioned as a coloring in books that would be f- suitable for both adults and children. So they're not like they're not super basic, but they're not the most complicated ones either. So it's kind of mm-hmm. it, it sits nicely in the middle there. And um, you can go through, like from Cunard's perspective, from from the early days of the of the of the company, all the way through to the Queens and Kiwi Two, and then Queen Mary Two and Queen Victoria and Queen Elizabeth, and color and images of both the exterior of the ship and of the interior spaces, and the same for P and O, uh, looking at the old ocean liners, then um, the P and O UK fleet and the P and O Australia fleet, and what's interesting as well is that people are sharing their coloring in pictures on instagram and facebook um and you can also find you know many of the rooms you can find pictures of online through my website or or on my social media as well so you can actually look and and get the colors correct or you can completely make it up and like i've seen pictures where queen mary (laughs) 2 has a pink hull and uh, a yellow funnel and stuff you know it's just just fun so you can do whatever you want yeah um and they're both available um like they're on amazon uk us amazon australia they're um on uh, the book depository they're, they're pretty much everywhere so it's the cunard coloring in book on and the p&o cruises coloring in book excellent and uh, we'll pop a little link to that in the show notes so that people can find it and also pop it up on our social pages too chris it is uh, always a pleasure i'm sure this week will fly by and we'll be speaking to you again very very Thanks, soon guys. take care that's all for today if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com 
or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.